0: Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. As I'm growing older, I'm becoming a lot more self reflective and uh, aware of who I am and what I am. And, 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 and I'm, I suppose it helps, what am I, six foot six and, and 19 stone, um, to be able to be a bit more vulnerable and open. Like you say, it's, it's, it's providing role models. Uh, and I don't see myself as a role model, but I see myself as someone that's quite happy to have a conversation. And in this world where we're all becoming a bit more aware of the fact that we do need to have conversations, I think if I can present myself, a lot of people see that and go, if that big lump can, then maybe I should. That's today's guest, Chris Bentley, former rugby player turned
1: salesman, MC and marketeer.
0: Now, as you've already
1: heard in that short clip, he's definitely a larger-than-life character in more ways than one. And I wanted to basically get his perspective on life, resilience, and how he sees and deals with what life has thrown at him. With Chris, you just light the touch paper and let him go. So, he's going to talk. Don't worry about that. And he drops some pearls of wisdom and some hilarious stories. So, uh, stay tuned for it. I began this podcast by simply asking him, who are you?
0: (laughs) Um, Who I am? I am Chris Bentley. And uh, my wife's leaning back in a chair. She's looking at me trying to take the piss. I... um, I've lived a slightly peculiar life and slightly different to a lot of people in that I've never really known what I want to do. There's a really good meme with John Lennon and he said, my teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be happy. And they said, that's not how this works. I think I'm a, I've been of a similar volition to that. I just want to be happy. And I've been very fortunate that up to the 42 years of life, pretty much achieved that most of the time, certainly through my vocation. Uh, I was a rugby player for 30 years professionally. Uh, And then on retirement from rugby, um, I transitioned into the sales team at what was at the time one of the best rugby clubs that's gone on to be even better. Um, And prior to that, I was a rugby player. I was always going to be a rugby player, which was difficult at first because I was born in in the Northwest, where it's all about football. And my granddad, when I was six (laughs) years old, bought me an Everton kit and said, you're Evertonian now, because that's sort of how it works in the Northwest.
1: Weren't you a Sunderland boy?
0: I was born in Sunderland. Um, My parents both studied at Durham and then... When I was a year old, we moved back to the Wirral so I could be close to my grandparents uh, to help raising me because mum and dad were both teaching full time. Um, so my grandparents had a big influence. Um, and as I say, I was fortunate I was Evertonian because I could have been Tranmere, which would have been nowhere near as good. <laughs> um, I, 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 I've seen I've seen Tranmere live more times than I've seen Everton, which is the team I support, which is a bit silly. Um, that is. Weird. I, was, I was a goalkeeper, so um, I, I was little and fat, and la- last picked. So I was used to being the last man picked and, and obviously the last one picked always went in goal. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll get good at this. So I got quite good in goal. And then I used to be one of the earliest picked because they knew that I'd be quite happy to be in goal. Um, oh, yeah. And then my inspiration was Rene Aguita, the Colombian goalkeeper that used to take the ball and dribble and try and score goals. Sort I did a bit <laughs> of that as well. And I, I made Wirral and West Cheshire schoolboys under 15, which is a decent accolade. Um, but then the coaches said, you're just too you're too slow off the ground. So I, I'm a good shot stopper and I've played a game at Exeter City. As a backroom game. And Julian Tagg will testify, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay shot stopper. I'm just too slow off the ground. So I realised I was never going to make it at football. And that page, at that stage, my coaches were saying, why don't you have a go at rugby? So I tried rugby. I've been doing it for a few years. and been pretty crap. Um, I got most improved player three years on the bounce, which just goes to show how bad I was when I started. Um, <laughs> incidentally, I play volleyball now. And look, I'm going to on and I'm sure there'll be some gem somewhere. I play volleyball now with some old boys in Linston. And I've won most improved player for two years on the bouncing volleyball now. I just try, when I get something that I enjoy, I just try hard at it. Uh, there's very little, other than my size, there's little natural talent, but a lot of application. You're a very humble
1: man, mate, and you know you were you're a you were a fantastic extra uh, extra Chiefs player, uh, a die-hard at the club. Although like, you didn't play your majority of your rugby there, did you? It was more um uh, you were you were all over the place a bit, weren't you? But you had a, a lot of games so, up in sort of Wigan way,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. So so much, so let's let's do the rugby career. So I, I was obviously making it as a rugby player, uh, and I got picked for the North Under Twenty Ones. I got picked for England Under Twenty Ones, and I was at a club called Oral. And I thought Oral was going to be my club. I'd be there my whole career. And, and, and at the time, Oral were in were in the doldrums. They, they, they had a go at making it as a pro club, hadn't succeeded. And they'd been relegated. And they were a club for stalwarts of the club and young lads that were aspirational. So I, I was playing Allied Dunbar Premiership 2, as it was called, as a 19-year-old. And I was, I was one of the few type five forwards playing at that level. Uh, and we got relegated again. And it looked like it was all going downhill. And then Wigan Rugby League came in and said they were going to buy the club. And I had this really interesting meeting with Morris Lindsay, who is the chairman of Wigan Rugby League. And, and I'll do the voice because I love doing it. Chris, we see you as a little boss. We see you as like a young Andy Farrell and we like to keep you. And it's written in Rob, Rob Kitson's book, I Tell the Story, about how he offered me like, twice as much as I was willing to sign for. Uh, and, and we got promoted and we got promoted um, into the, back into the second division. And then we finished fourth in the league, second in the league. And we were going to make the premiership. I was 24 years of age. Uh, I'd played 126 games for Oral and and it was all, that was it. It was one club man. I was really excited about this. And Dave Whelan said, my heart's not in it. Uh, he was the owner of Wigan Mobile he and my heart's not in it. If you've got a contract to honour it, if I haven't, you ain't getting another one. And at the time I had an injury and we'd signed a Peter Palapoy and Dan Cook two second rows to cover my injury. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to battle hard to get back into a team that's going to fold at the end of the year. I may as well go somewhere else. So I spoke to my agent um, and I got a chance to go to Biarritz in France. So I went over to Biarritz in France <laughs> and absolutely categorically failed. <laughs> um, I, I, had, I had a massive case of culture shock. And if anyone, uh, if, you're in, if you're down in the southwest of France in 2004, uh, the Basque region, I didn't speak. Uh, I had GCSE French. So uh, as a very emotional and expressive character, it was difficult for me that I could speak along a single line like, il fait beau, j'ai mauvaise. <laughs> uh, and and, and "où est le piscine, si vous play? You know, <laughs> <who's> <laughs> <named> <laughs> it was but, but my conversational standard was on one. Uh, whereas people will ask me, how am I? And I've got about 6,000 responses to how I am. I'm melancholic today, or I'm having a bit of a day today, or I'm on top of the world looking down on creation. The only explanation I can find, you know, wherever I am, I've got so many different ways. Whereas in France, it was like, ah, just we bond. And that was about all I could say. And it was, so emotionally I found it very difficult um, and I tried so hard to be the Englishman over there. I was At the point I'd rehabbed, I was super strong, super fit. But in France, that wasn't what mattered as much as, as, as being a part of the team. And, and, and I, I didn't fit in. I played one first team game against Perpignan. I had a game on the bench against Montpellier. Uh, and then I realised it wasn't going to happen. So I thought, well, I'll enjoy my French experience. I ate a truckload of croissants, had loads of steak (laughs) frites. I I was living in a hotel. I was full board in a hotel the whole time I was there. Um, I was bonkers. I I went out there at about 116 kilos, built like He-Man. And when I came back to Exeter, I was 135 kilos. (laughs) I was like He-Man that had eaten the cow. Um, (laughs) But but, So I'd sort of failed to do it. And Exeter came in looking and said, look, we fancy you coming along. And I, I went to Exeter and I found the club and a town that I really, really enjoyed um, as, as, a, as a place. As I say to everyone, when I came to Exeter, somebody said to me it's the graveyard of ambition, and they meant that in a good way. I absolutely agree with that. You're 10 minutes from the moors. You're 10 minutes from the sea. Um, <laughs> the city is big enough. That it's got everything you need, but it's not too big that you get lost. So when I go to the big metropolitan cities, Liverpool, Manchester, London, I can handle a couple of days, but then I get a bit dizzy. Um, whereas Devon, for me, and, and Exeter, uh, spot on, got everything to Um I had two great se- seasons, seasons with Exeter. This is, like a, this, is, this is Chris talking about his rugby career. I had two great seasons with Exeter, but I could see we were a while off being where we wanted to be. And at that point, I was 27, 26, 27, and I knew I had a finite time in rugby. My, my, my concept of being a one-club man had been jaundiced by my experience at Wigan, I realized we were commodities that were traded. Um, and so I thought I was going to ride the rugby horse. And, and I had an 18-month sabbatical where I rode the rugby horse hard. I went out to New Zealand for six months, over to Edinburgh for six months, back to New Zealand for six months. And then um, the whole time I was gone from Exeter, Pete Drew had stayed in touch uh, and said, we'd really like you to come to Exeter. We see you was a good character, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I thought Exeter was the place for me to go back to because – I felt, as, you, as you've noticed, well, we were 11 minutes in and I've hardly stopped speaking, um, <laughs> there will be a job for me when I retire. And I knew that I wasn't going to retire from rugby and never work in. I had to work straight away. Uh, and I thought I could go into Exeter and run my mouth well and get a job. And fortunately, uh, Exeter took me back and I got, I got 125 first team games, although only 98 were in the league. And uh, the Chiefs only celebrate league games. So anyone that's listening from Chiefs, they always like to wind me up that I've only got 90 for league games. And my epitaph at the club is I'm the melted ice cream. I didn't quite make it to a 99, um, but I was certainly a flake. Um, and then I got, I got the job with the Chiefs. And for uh, the best part of six years, I was on the corporate team and I ended up in charge of the corporate team. Although the corporate team was me in the last year. Uh, we did record revenues and had a, I had a really good time. Career wise, um, I was at Chiefs. We were flying high. We'd won the premiership. um, And I I explored with Tony Rowe about the opportunity of moving up the the, the grade at the club. And it looked like my path was going to be blocked for a while. My wife was in, she'd just jumped off the branch with her business and she'd been a year in a marketing firm with her sister. And she looked at me and said, Chris, you're miserable. And I went, No, I'm not. I'm Mr. X Chiefs. And she went, You're miserable. You're not enjoying this. And I looked at it and thought, do you know what, I'm working I'm working 16 hours a day, I'm, I'm accessible all the time, if anyone wants to speak to me, they can, I'm on my phone all the time, my daughter keeps grabbing my phone off me and trying to move, move it away from me and I thought, mm-hmm. I'm sort of losing track of what's good here and, and materially I was flying and everybody was my mate but ultimately there was a bit of a bubble about it and when, when I stood back and looked at it, I thought, I am, I am not happy. Um, so I went and saw Tony and I said, look Tony, I think I'm unemployable, I think I've got to go. And we explored it over the course of a few weeks and then in the end i resigned my role at chiefs which a lot of people were surprised about uh, and joined smithkin baker which is my wife and her sister and we've got a couple of members of staff uh marketing and sales company um and jumped off the branch and i've been there for three years now um and and i've 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 got an itch so absolutely I've i've got a little consultancy role with exeter city football club that i'm really enjoying uh i've got a mission from god with plymouth albion that i'm really enjoying uh so I've still got my toe in sport. I've got my not working networking event. There's a chap called Steve Dixon bringing his do club down this way, which is why have you so I'm sort of doing all sorts of bits and bobs now. Um, but the main thing is this John Lennon thing. I just want to make sure I'm happy uh, and, and also mm. that the people around me are happy. Uh, and I think on the whole, I'm sort of achieving that.
1: Yeah, I remember having a conversation on a podcast
0: probably about three years ago now,
1: and I was asked, uh, what's your definition of success? And I had never been asked that question before. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I was just like, well, it's happiness, isn't it? And it, as I said it, I was like, "Shit! It really is happiness, isn't it?" And it was just this like light bulb moment for me. So you know, from the outside in, you know, we we as mere mortals look at you know professional sports people, go, "Ah, oh, it wouldn't be, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be great?" Yeah. And I'm sure there's an element of that, and I'm sure there's other sides to it as well. But what I'd like to dive a little bit deeper on is is like the because I'm I, with who needs instructions. I really want to get men talking to each other yeah. and i want to know what it was like because the thing i miss about playing a very 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 poor level of football is the is the changing room my mates in that changing room we all went through something together and i'm sure yeah. at an elite level that you played at the bonding but, and the friendship so
0: right genuinely I, I thought about this i look back on my rugby career with rose tinted glasses absolutely no doubt I, you know i played 300 odd games it was great fun there's probably about four or five games that I can remember vividly. The ridiculous thing is, the game, the two games that I enjoyed the most in my rugby career, I lost. I lost with Oral against Northampton in extra time. And I lost with Exeter against Bedford in extra time. Two of my most favorite games, not because we lost, not because of anything, other than in the changing room afterwards, every single one of us had given our all. We could have done no mm. more. And I was amongst We used the term my brothers. I was amongst a a group of guys on two occasions who I really cared about. I knew they cared about me and we'd all given it everything we had. There was nothing more to give. And we were just satisfied in our effort. And and I've won won promotion into the premiership, won promotion into the championship. Um, I've won at Twickenham. I've I've won international caps. Those are my two favorite games. Absolutely. And and the thing is, it's that moment in the changing room. And now that I'm retired, I'm never going to play rugby again um I, I still get involved in veterans games and I, and I say and this is stupid and people laugh at me the thing i most want to do is get naked in the changing room full of blokes i get it there's no there's not a sexual connotation which people go to i just want the company of men and i want to mm. have a crack and there's something very special about being in the sheds with the lads just just to and fro and having a crack um I, I, and that for me is is is, is the, the most important thing
1: I, I think men miss that, you know, and, and rightfully so. Other things take priority in our life, you know. So you've got family, we've got children, we've got work, um, we've got partners, we've got wives, we've got girlfriends, we've got boyfriends, we've got husbands. You know, no matter what it is, but you still need to take that little bit of time for yourself. So do you do you still do that? Do, have you got those male friends? Do you get together? Do you have at the moment because we're in lockdown? Are you having Skype calls, Zoom calls? You well, know, are you man- maintaining those friendships?
0: I'm absolutely maintaining friendships with a real close group. So, you know, if you can fill the fingers of one hand with your true friends, you're very lucky. And I, I'm a very lucky person. So so I've got uh, Jenks, the Clegg twins, Reese. I keep in touch with. I'll, I'll ring them up and we'll have a conversation. I've got an extended group of friends that that we touch base. Um, I've obviously not working networking is an event that I have. Uh, there's a knock on from that where we've we've got a club where there's 24 blokes and we keep in touch on that one. Um, so absolutely and and then I remember in the middle of when we had a break and we went to Rule of Six and the volleyball guys mm-hmm. got together uh, or oh, some of us do there's, there's about 18 of us that play volleyball uh, and, and we have to opt in or opt out and, and we're allowed to play and one the one week that I went where there was six of us afterwards we sit and we had a few beers in in, in the Chappers Park has got the volleyball court and I said bloody hell I've missed this and I said it's just being amongst a group of guys and just talking shit mm-hmm. and, and, and that there's something about it that you don't realise you're missing it till you haven't had it you know, properly. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. The sporting environment and the changing room is what makes it. It makes it so much easier because you've got that commonality, so it makes it easier to have the conversation. Um, I think I think to try and to try and have open, naked conversations when you are. Um, Perhaps not not in in that environment. It's that little bit more difficult to show that vulnerability, uh, which in a changing room it's just not a problem because because you've mm-hmm. got that like commonality. And I suppose we're ruminating on this one now, man. But I, I I sort of see that as a, a, it's it's like a tool that helps, isn't it?
1: it's vital it's absolutely vital we need that vulnerability but you do when you've got that bond with your teammates there's that bond there and like you say you've got those those close network of friends in the four or five friends that you can turn to yeah and i'm, I'm again i'm lucky i have that i've got a little whatsapp group we get together on our zoom calls and when we're allowed to we meet in each other's gardens and we have beers yeah. and the conversations go from Jesus Christ! It's been such a tough week. Um, this has happened to you're an absolute plum because you need a haircut. Whatever you know, it's just and and but the conversation will always flow. And if and you know if there's a guy that needs an arm put around him, you know if there's a guy that needs putting down, you know, a peg yeah. or two. And it's it's I think that's missing from so many blokes. Yeah, lives.
0: yeah. It's well, it's it's um, Bruce Daisley spoke at uh, Like Minds. He's the Twitter uh, guy. Isn't he? He's the Twitter guy. I love Bruce Daisley. And uh, he he was the first one to introduce the concept to me. It's somebody else that actually cares. Psychological safety, and I think that that's the thing that you have is the psychological safety. And like you say, it's it's the critique, it's the banter, it's the build up, it's the knockdown. It doesn't matter, but it's to say I'm not I'm not I'm not challenging the core of what makes you. I'm just challenging aspects of you so that we can we can ultimately achieve a better understanding and a, a better well being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and psychological safety for me is such a massive thing. And I I'm I'm quite brash. People say I'm fat, it's not, it's thick skin, not not very much dents me like that. So, But but I'm really keen to establish when I have conversations, look, this is psychologically safe place. If I say something that upsets you, there is no intent to upset. What I'm trying to do is find is find commonality and, and a, a true north so we can all be in a better place.
1: Yeah, and you may or may not remember this. Um, I came, we did the men's walk and it was yeah. based at the Exeter Chiefs and there was yeah. a, a, a gazebo up there and you're in that gazebo and I walked in there with my stepson, who at the time was about... 10 or 11 his years His leg was me. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Had a, he had a bad leg. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, don't know if it, I don't know if he broke it, but he definitely had a bad leg. And I said, look, he, he, he's like, Matt, Matt, that's, that's, that's Chris Bentley over there. I said, like, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of know Chris just through, you know, the business community. Yeah. Uh, and, and I kind of went over and, and you were not only very gracious and opening and let's get a photo with him. You are very self deprecating as well. Yeah. So, I knew that straight away, right, here's a guy who can take it because he's already taken the piss out of himself. Yeah. But when he goes and gives it, you've got to learn to take it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it was um, James Haskell, the rugby player, has a cracking one. He talks about banter. And banter is a table of 10 men where nine laughing their tits off and one's crying. And, <laughs> and for me, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with banter. And some people will construe some of my behavior as, as not, but but like you say, I'm dead happy to take it as well as give it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have that safety and you, you understand, and, and this is where it was so easy in a sporting environment, because you know, on a Saturday afternoon, you're all going to jump on a bomb for each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the, one of the great successes of the Exeter Chiefs, you know, the, the changing room, they, 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 they call it the snake pit, bite or get bitten. They absolutely savage each other. And, and and I was, I mean, I was, I was the social secretary for five years at Exeter Chiefs. Um, and we finished, me <laughs> you know, we, we finished second in the championship three of those years, got promoted one. Um, and then we had a year, no, sorry, we had, we had two, two second places, a, a, win, a win, and then two years in the, in the premiership. And so I'm the social sector, a team that's doing a lot of successful stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 I couldn't resist the banter. I couldn't resist the crack. And I got rinsed so many more times than I was beating people up. Um, but I just love it. And I just can't. I've got I've got to make Ben White. How how what rating are we? Are we are we uh 18 rated or uh 15? You 50? go where you
1: want, Chris. You Whitey.
0: Whitey. He's my frenemy. And the la- the lads used to enjoy me and Whitey because he's just this crazy Australian. I haven't spoken to him for about six months. And I, got an e- I got a text message the other day, you're a cunt. Um, <laughs> I've dropped the C-bomb, I'm awfully sorry. So I just texted back, I hate your teeth. And we had a, we had a succession of just, we just offended each other for about yeah. 20 minutes. I even nudged, I even nudged Faye, my wife to Faye, just look at the state of this. And I ended up like, I'm going to take your missus out on a date. She's going to fall in love with me and then I'm never going to call her again. Um, and... And, he's, and we're just, we're just abusing each other. And then, and then it was like, he said, I'm, I'm, he's going to, he was going to jump. He was going to, he was going to uh, have sexual intercourse with my mum. And I said, you haven't even got a mum. You were created in a lab because no one could love you enough. And we just, this was the level of abuse we had. Now, Whitey and I, like, I was so uplifted by, by the fact that he'd reached out to me and had a crack. And then once we would got through this, we then had a bit of a conversation about how he was getting on and what was happening, how the kids were. But, but it's just from someone looking in, they'd be like,
1: How can you do that? Can I put that down to a a, – I'm going to go with the north-south divide on this one because, you know, I think I take the piss out of my mates quite a lot. And I went on a golf holiday a couple of years ago, and there were seven blokes from Manchester and me. Uh, and two of them are best mates. They've been best man at each other's wedding, and they did not have a nice word to say about each other. But they loved each other. And yeah, it was just—I'd never seen a relationship like it. And I'm now friends with them on Facebook, and I see it from a distance. They abuse the shit out of each other, but they would run through a wall for each other as well. You
0: know it. You know it. Oh, mate, completely. And I—I th- I think this is the thing with Whitey. No one, no one outside Whitey and I sees us. All they see is me and him just abuse each other. And and Jesus, why? We had a preseason once with Chiefs. Um, and Sk- Skaysbrook had introduced Jim Skaysbrook had introduced this thing I'm, I'm, I'm breaking all sorts of rules of the if, if, if anyone listens to this they'll be going after me <laughs> deep in a social if you're going to be sick be sick on your mate and, and and it got even worse so Whitey decided if he was going to have a piss he was going to piss on me and and, and we, were, we were on Dartmoor and every time I'd be talking to people I'd suddenly feel my legs getting wet I'd turn around he'd be pissing on me it's like Whitey what the fuck are you doing uh, and this was his thing. But then on a match day, literally, if someone was having a go at me or anything, he'd be the first man to defend me. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was, that, that's just an anecdote. that was just just the ridiculousness of it all. I suppose one of the things is that, that I've enjoyed is that Whitey and I used to abuse each other for years, and it's only recently now we're retired, we're both humble enough to actually go beyond the, the, the banter and abuse and actually say, how are you, mate? Yeah, um, and, and and we've got this history behind us, but I enjoy our relationship more now. We still abuse each other, we still have crack, but we're able to go beyond that and actually be a bit more open about it, which 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 I think is 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 an important thing to be able to do. So let me change tack a little bit then. Um, in terms
1: of tougher times yeah. has there been tougher times in in chris bentley's career in your life where mental resilience has been a thing that you've really had to you know to learn or to to really put into practice
0: yeah totally uh the, the, well, let's go with the spurious ones first injury i've had trouble with injury through my career i budgeted mentally for three big injuries um which i knew would come and, I, and they did i had my ankle rebuilt twice I when my bicep reattached um, and I've lost uh, the posterior cruciate ligament in my knee it's difficult as a rugby player when you get injured because the currency in rugby is playing if you're playing every week the world is lovely and everyone's your mate if you're not playing and you're not getting picked then then you're standing in yourself because how you, how, how you think about yourself but also how you think people perceive you because you're not playing it's a very difficult place, it can be a very dark place and it's hard when you're injured because you're away from the group. You know, you, the, the whole thing is you're like a group of bison walking across the savannah, but you're walking mm-hmm. 20 yards behind because you're injured and you can't really do anything. That's a tough place to be. Um, and it's very much, I find, it's one foot in front of the other. I always find, you know, Winston Churchill, when you're going through hell, keep going. The, the, the big thing is when you're in a tough spot, you have to keep pushing. I think no one gets, you know, if you, uh, Will Smith, if you sit in the same place, you're going to go, what is it Yeah. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. But yeah. if you sit down and feel sorry for yourself, um, then nothing's going to happen. You have to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the other one that really resonated for me was in my transition weekend when I came out of Rugby Union. Uh, the RPA put on a weekend and you go to the Brecon Beacons and you climb a mountain and you have a bit of a crack. And I read about that. It, well, well, I, the year before me, there was a couple of guys that had to retire early through injury and, and it was a very emotional weekend and there was a lot of crying and cuddling. And then the year I went, it was myself, who was a couple of years out of the game at that point. Uh, we had Pete Short, who just retired from Chiefs, big second row. Uh, Kai Griffiths, who's a crazy Welshman. Richard Thorne, uh who's, who's director of rugby at China. And and when we arrived, I said, right, are we on the uh, RPA's credit card? And they went, yeah. And I went, right, I'll have a double gin and tonic, please. And we, we set a slightly different tone and we all got a bit loose and had a crack. But, but um, we had Laura Penhall, who is the first... Uh, first women's team to, to row across the Pacific. I referred to certain key points that I refer to, and Laura Penhall for me, it was she just it stood up to this speech about how she'd rowed across the Pacific, uh, she'd picked the team and, and what have you, and it just resonated with me. There was one period where there were two hours on, two hours off, and they were in the doldrums, and for two weeks the currents were against them, and they had to row flat out to move hardly any distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, 10 nautical miles, but they knew they had to get through this 10 nautical miles and the currents would come with them and they'd, they'd push on again. Hmm. When you start to reason your head through that and she said, you know, all we had to do was think tomorrow's another day, we just got to keep going. And, and for me, the, the resilience ticket, you know, I, I never had a problem. just didn't have a problem. I was getting paid money. I was with my mates. So I was having a crack. Uh, but listening to Laura Penhall with this just, you know, you just got to keep pushing and keep driving. It just stuck in with me. And, and I think the resilience thing is absolutely... Um, don't don't let whatever your problem is get on top of you. Keep keep on driving, keep on pushing. And and then the other thing, Maslow's list of critical needs I think is massively important for everybody in 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 England and in Great Britain to understand. In the lottery of life to be born in Britain means you've won a major prize. Yeah. I'll give you that again. In the lottery of life to be born in Britain means you've made a prize, won a major yeah. prize. Maslow's list of critical needs, the bottom tier for ninety nine point nine nine percent of Brits is always dealt with we've you know I can go to a tap turn it on water comes out i can I can defecate in a toilet and flush it away. I know I'm never going to starve to death I know I'm never going to have a parsity of food and water and shelter I'm always taken care of so whatever I think is a problem whatever's getting on top of me if I step back and look at it and go actually I haven't got a problem I'm absolutely mm-hmm. fine. Um, and then, and then the, 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 uh, another another perspective to take with regards to the resilience ticket is um, is the Buddhism. You know, I'm going to die, and, and I, I refer to the We Croak app to people, and everyone should download We Croak. It's great. Uh, these crazy Californian Buddhists, and they give you a mantra every day, reminding you you're going to die. Um, but but when you realise your life is going to end, you start to go, well, does this really matter? Is this thing that's bothering me now a problem? You know, when, when I go. I'm, I wish I'd had this level of, of self-awareness when I was 27 and my arm was in a cast and I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to play rugby. I just go, well, hang on a minute, I've got a really nice house. I've got, I'm, I'm blessed with a huge amount of love. Uh, I've got huge amounts of material possessions. I, you know, I have, a, I have a problem every morning choosing what clothes I'm going to wear because I've got so many. Um, you know, the, it, it's the perspective you take. And one of the problems that we're, we're certainly prone to um, in, in the millennial era now, is, is poor little me. Whereas actually, you know, there's people that are going to wake up today uh, at somewhere around the world, and they're going to have to walk four miles to get their food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, they'll walk a long distance to pump a to pump a, a handle to, to get water. that's not going to be very clean to drink. Uh, and I think, well, hang on a minute. I haven't got any of these problems. And, and what I need to do is ruminate on what I've got that's good. Uh, and 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 then you go into this. It, it, well I was listening to a cracking podcast of the other day, actually. Mindfulness, you know, everyone, everyone's pushing the mindfulness and the meditation. And for a lot of people at work, sometimes I quite like to sort of have a moment and, and be mindful. But on the flip, if my head's running a million miles an hour, the last thing I want to do is be mindful. And if I you know if I've got a bit of ADHD, then I want to be focused on other stuff, but just focus on things that make you happy. Um, and, and, and 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 again pair that back. Uh, whatever it may be, you know. If I wake up in the morning, I can ruminate on the fact that I'm awake. That's pretty cool. I' much rather, I'd much rather be alive than dead. Uh, so there's different tiers that you can look at you know i'm I'm very very fortunate you know i'm healthy my family are healthy I, I'm yet to know the bereavement of, of, of um either of my parents um everyone's still going and, and i'm I'm now at that stage where it, it's something that I, mentally i'm certainly preparing myself for the for the loss of my parents um because my dad is seventy three six foot four and 23 stone, you don't see big old men. And my dad is a big old man. It's going to hit me like like a ton of bricks. And that, that's going to have a massive effect on my mental set and my mental state, you know, how I look at the world. Moment, I'm profited and loved and it's all there for me. Yeah,
1: it's it, funny. I was having a conversation. Sorry to jump in, Chris, but I, you I, have, my father—you have to jump in. <laughs> my father's eighty-five years old, and for his eightieth birthday, I suddenly realised, crikey, this guy is is not going to be around forever. Yes. Um, and I'm such a softy; I couldn't say it to his face, so I had to write him a letter just to let him know what he means to me um and and just so that if the worst comes to worst and he and he does leave this planet that he knows uh, that there's no regrets you know i need to know that i've told that man what an amazing human being he is and thank you for doing everything you have done for me yeah um and i had to do that so i've kind of come to peace with that not for one second that i'm wishing my father pops off this planet but but if he does i think i'm prepared
0: is, this is the point. is it, it, it's, it's having this mental awareness. Uh, mm. And this is where we croak is amazing. Is, you know, if you're you going to die. We're all going to die. And I listened to your lexicon there, if my dad dies, your dad's going to die. And it's, it's a horrible thing to, to, to contemplate, but it's going to happen to all of us. And, and, and ultimately, we're going to be dead. And do you know what? Do you know anything about your great-great-grandparents? Nothing. Neither do I. In three generations, we're gone. And and I was I was I was in A and E with my daughter last yesterday. She she'd fallen off a skateboard and we thought she'd broken her wrist. She hadn't, we're okay. But but we were there and it was um there's an amazing there's an amazing uh, website that everybody needs to go on called I'm just loading it on my phone. Uh it's Neil dot fun, N-E-A-L fun. Um and he's got a load of different things like the deep sea, and you can scroll through the sea and it goes all the way to the bottom. But we were looking at the the life of the universe. And he was saying, in the life of the universe, if if the universe is going to exist for a year, we are in the first millisecond of January the first right now. Amber. And when, when you contemplate just how insignificant we are, it doesn't matter. You know, if 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 you fall over in the street and people point you and laugh, don't worry about it. Which instantly happened to me once. We've been to cows Week, and we were coming. We come back from cows Week, and I said to my, I said to my wife, uh, there, was, there was four of us, who were a bit hungover, and I'd said to the guys, right guys, you you walk slowly with the bags. I'll run to the car because um, down in down in Southampton, the, the, the you get kicked off the ferry, and it's like about half a mile to the car park. And I thought, I'm oh, former rugby player, I'm going to run to the car, to the car. <laughs> Man. and I ran out the terminal, and there was about 200 people getting off this this ferry ran out the terminal, and I slipped, and I fell over, and when you're a big man, and I've already established six foot six and 19 stone, I fell over, I full on wiped out everywhere. And there was this big intake of breath, and like, oh, look at that. And I bounced up, and I was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, <laughs> and carried on running away. I had pink chinos on at the time as well, just to add to the, the ignominy of it. Yes, okay. yes, exactly. Big men were real men wear pink. I fallen over, wiped out, uh, and it was like, oh my God, this is embarrassing. But then, Rather than be consumed with it, I went and got the car, drove back, and then I got out of the car and said to them, look at the state of me, and I had like scuffs all down my legs, and they were all pissing themselves at my expense. I was like, that's quite funny, actually. It yeah. you, it, rather than allowing that to end me for the day and think, oh, I've fallen over, my clothes are all mucky, this is bad, everyone was looking at me laughing. I said, what I've managed to do is turn this round and turn it into quite a funny anecdote. We're all having <laughs> a bit of a giggle. Yeah, which you get to um, tell the podcast a few years later. Exactly, uh, how I wiped out uh, at the ferry terminal. And it was quite silly. Um, so yeah, so with regards to, back to the resilience, there are many different tools. One of them, keep going, tomorrow is another day. The sun's always going to rise. You know, darkest hour is just before the dawn. And, and, and shit, uh, injuries was one. You know, lockdown's been another. I mean, Jesus, mm-hmm. thirty 38 minutes, I reckon you've spoken for about two of those. I've had 36 I'm an extrovert. I love to talk. I am, I'm never happier than when I've got an audience and when I'm, when I'm entertaining them or they or whoever they are. Um, and when lockdown came, I thought, shit, I'm in trouble here. Yeah. Because yeah. most of what I you am know, sales, I want to be in front of people. I want to be talking and convincing them that what I, you know, that the beans I'm selling are worth buying. And to have that removed, you know, Zoom is like kryptonite for me. Uh, you know, it, it exists, but it, I'm nowhere near as strong. You know, I use, I use my natural tools. I'm big. I'm going to invade your personal space and be gregarious. I can't do that now.
1: We probably should wrap things up in a minute, but I just want to dig a little bit because I've seen you on stage presenting. I've seen you at the rugby club. I've seen you at the football club yeah. and you do command a room. And there is a physical presence you have, but actually you, you have the ability orally to hold a room as well. So when lockdown kicks in and you're stuck at home uh, with you know with your wife and your children, yeah. your family, um, ha- I know that you've already said, well, it's just you know one day at a time. Is that literally how you dealt with it?
0: Uh, no, I, I put my hand up. I said to my wife, I'm going to struggle here. I said I'm, I'm going to have a tough time of this, and I don't want it to become the defining factor of lockdown. I just I just need to let you know. And yeah, I think the thing was we we, we carried on. It's fortunate I love my wife um and and, and and yeah we had we had a nice time and i'm not going to deny being a divorced parent has actually been quite handy because just as the kids become a bit too much you give them back to the other the other parent and and i'm very fortunate <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate i've got a really good relationship with my ex-wife so so yeah. we, we liaise and we make sure because because the kids are always going to try and divide and conquer but we've, we've kept a firm front so it's been lovely to have the fill a lot from the kids the variation uh, and when I've had bad days, I've just accepted it's a bad day. Um, and, and you know, it's it's, it's rugby. It's, it, you go back to what you know. And in rugby, one of the big things is don't make compound mistakes. So if you give away a penalty, don't give away another penalty. If you if you if you lose the ball to the opposition, try and win it back pretty quick. If I'm having a bad day, I try not to allow my bad day to be two bad days or three bad days. And and there are some days where I wake up and. I, I do my, my morning routine. I'll go and do a bit of rowing. So a phys- bit of physical to make myself feel good. I'll put a, a positive thing on my Instagram, at CC Bentos, if anyone wants. I always put quotes on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, so mentally and physically, I'm feeling quite good. But if I do my routine and, and you know the bed's been made, so I'm looking for something has been achieved to start the day. So there's, there's all these positive things that have happened. If I'm still in a bit of a funk, and, and, and certainly the last lockdown was the most, I'd say to me, I'm just having a bad day today. And I'll, I'll embrace it and, and and I'll accept that the black dog's there. Um, but, then, but then as the day goes on, I'll start pushing positive mantras tomorrow's another day. You know, we're going we're gonna to break, start up bright and early tomorrow. I'll start mentally focusing about some good things that are going to happen the next day. And I, I try not to allow it to, to permeate in. Uh, and I'm very fortunate. Again, I, I ruminate on what I have got. You know, uh, yeah. uh, Vicky Barnes, the positive psychologist, who's fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I was concerned about swearing that. He, he, you know, neurons that fire together wire together overcome your negativity bias you know we, we're seven times more likely to complain than compliment just force yourself to become more likely to compliment than complain um and, it, and it, it, if you start doing that it starts to manifest them and what i found is whereas lockdown should have been really really hard for me it's actually not been that bad and, and i've okay i've had some bad days absolutely i've been miserable um, but they haven't compounded. They haven't become two bad days. They haven't become three bad days. And, and, and when I am a bit mis, we have tools to get out of it. Uh, so that that for me has been really important. Um, not not wallowing in self pity, you know. And if I have to pare it right the way back, turn on the tap and water comes out. And, and what, <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite meditations is having a slice of toast. Um, I, I I've got a dual toaster. Put it onto number two. Let it come round. It's almost my, my wife calls it white bread, a white toast. And I have white toast. So I'm like Elwood Blues from the Blues Brothers. I put heavily salted butter in, and then I just savor the taste. Oh, How good is that? Buttery toast, mate. Oh, you've, just, mate. you've got me. You've got salted, me. salted buttery toast. But yeah. go, but go over the top. Have too much. And, and yeah, you, more, more butter than bread. Yeah. Oh, mate. Have it like cheese. Slice the butter <laughs> like cheese. You know, be really bourgeois with it. And ruminate on that salted butter in the in the top of your palate, how nice. Oh, my gee whiz. Now, I'm like Pavlov's dog. I'm salivating at the concept of having salted butter on toast. And, I love and, it. But but mentally, I'm feeling better. Yeah. And this is the point. Yeah. Now, whatever it is for you, whatever the tools are, and, and sometimes it, it, it's a positive rumination. Other times, it might just be a dump. And I might ring up one of my mates. So I'll ring up my mate, Reese and say, fucking hell, mate. I'm having a shit day. I am miserable as fuck. And mm-hmm. just, you know what I'll do? A problem shared is a problem halved. If I unload it onto him, he will take that and he will be okay with it because he's having a good day. And, and vice versa, if, if Reese rings me or the Clegs ring me and I'm having a shit day and they unload on me, I'm happy to absorb that because I know I'm making them better. Yeah. And, and that's the point. Sometimes you have to be the receptacle. Sometimes you have to be the giver. But just just, just being happy to do that and, and psychologically secure enough to give it to people, brilliant.
1: Chris, I have to say that I wasn't in a bad mood before I started this call, but and I was in a good place. I was looking forward to, to doing podcast interviews, and I'm coming off this call in just the best mood ever. It's contagious. Thank you.
0: Go on, mate. Well, it, it, it works. You know the other one, the other one that I do, fucking uh, cartnarks. Put put shopping cart. Oh, I, uh,
1: yeah, mate. I've seen it, and I know you love them. They're yeah. fucking I went, amazing.
0: I went. I went off at a bloke. It's, uh, so. So I, I normally shop at Aldi and Lidl because I love the middle of Lidl. It makes me happy. Uh, <laughs> I'll be a like, roof so, The only job that I would swap for what I do now would be. Uh, well, no, there's two. There's one be a retired millionaire, but the other one would be um, uh, the, the buyers for the Aldi or Lidl because they must be off their tits on class a drugs every week. Oh, hang on a minute. Right, knife set. What should we put next to that? Oh yeah, um some Harry Potter books. And next yeah. to that, yes, yeah, some backpacks. Like where the fuck they get their ideas from. God knows. What a job. So normally I shop at Aldi and little and they've got the uh, pounds to get your trolleys, but but, but per chance I happened to be at Sainsbury's the other day and I was heartbroken there's trolleys everywhere and I had my boy with me. I was like, "Right, so you're going to have to wait. I started putting the trolleys away and this bloke come out with his shopping and he, he left his trolley and he grabbed his bags. I went, are you for fucking real? And he looked at me as I was pushing like eight trolleys and he went, well, I said, mate, put your trolley away and do the right thing. And he did. And I felt so good. That's because you're six foot fucking six. If I say
1: that at five foot eight and a little bald slaphead, they'd
0: look at me and laugh, mate.
1: That's when you've got to be like
0: Agent Sebastian. See, I can do this. I, I, I had the threat display if I was Agent Sebastian, you know, a secret secret society making sure the world is a bad place, you've just got to have your, your, your cardio good, and then if you, if, you, if someone tries to get after you, just run away. I can run. <laughs> <laughs>
1: listen, I do. I treasure your time. Uh, yours is very valuable. Uh, and th- there's uh, there's some great takeaways that I want people to just have another listen, go back over what Chris says, that the positive affirmation that, that my world isn't actually that bad, you know, a little bit of a reality check every now and then um, is that is that best form of resilience that I think is out there. So Chris Bentley, thank you very much. I love you, brother
0: yeah mate same here and look it's at cc bentos on social if anyone wants to interact and say hello on any capacity i've always got time mr miss, miss kicks off at me because i talk to everybody who needs instructions the podcast for men who probably do need instructions